I'm grabbing some notes. That doesn't sound very well. Everyone alive? Good morning. Great. Glad to hear your happy voices, and uh, welcome to church. Uh, just a few announcements uh, to get our service started this morning. Uh, we have several ways that you can get announcements. If you like the hard copy, these are available every week at the Welcome Center, and so you can have a hard copy. We send emails. We have a new website that has uh, updated information as well. We even have a, fa- a Facebook page, so if you're a Facebooker and want to connect that way, invite you to do that. Uh, several things up and coming would like to, uh, for you to kind of be aware of. Uh, the next men's breakfast will be the 30th of October, so the last Saturday of the month. We had a great time, a wonderful meeting, good turnout, good food, and a really good conversation. And so I encourage you guys uh, to do that. Also would like for you to know that men in particular, uh, we are considering doing a um, early morning before work uh, study just for guys focused on men's issues during the week. And so I would just like to know your input on that. If that's something that you would be interested in, please let me know. Uh, there's a possibility that we would do a curriculum called Men's Fraternity, and it's out of a Bible church down in Arkansas, and it's a wonderful curriculum specifically meant uh, to challenge us to be the men uh, that God has created us to be. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. Uh, really excited about this also. Um, we will be doing a new Sunday school class. I think uh, not next week, but the week after. That should be on the 31st. Uh, We're starting a new new adult Sunday school class. Um, I've been preparing for this for quite a while. Um, I'm actually going to be leading it. And next Sunday, you'll hear a little bit about it. I think I sent you a video link this week in the email. Um, So I invite you to check it out. But uh, it's going to be called Living by the Book. And it's a DVD series by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who's a professor um, down at Dallas Seminary, where I went to. He is kind of the Bible study teacher Guru, And so he has taught literally hundreds of thousands of seminarians the simple task, but very important task, of getting familiar with your Bible. How do we study our Bible? How do we grow as we personally engage and feed ourselves from the Word? And so he has put out a DVD, because uh, he's getting old in age. Um, and so we're going to work our way through that. It's going to be interactive. Uh, the sessions are short, about 25 minutes. So we're going to watch that, and then it's going to be really hands-on. We're going to work together in the Scriptures. And so you may think, I don't read the Bible Uh, I can't, uh, it's over my head, I don't know where to start. Those may be some of the thoughts that you're thinking about why you don't engage in regular Bible reading. Well, if that's you, this is a class for you. We really want to encourage you to come to that. Uh, A few other things, uh, leadership meeting this week, so those of you guys on the leadership team, 8 o'clock right here. Um, Also... Uh, We hope to be doing a baby-slash-infant dedication sometime soon. I know there are a couple families that have indicated interest in that. And so um, if you're interested in that and dedicating yourself as a parent to the Lord and uh, your child to the Lord's use, um, we plan to do that sometime this fall. So let me know if that's something you're interested in. Um, I think we have a few other announcements. Uh, Any other announcements that anyone has to make? Prayer requests? Those kind of things? Kim? That will be Christmas Eve night, uh, time to to be announced, but it's always an excellent, excellent, fun time, good opportunity to invite friends and families, uh, people who may not come to church. So thanks, guys, for doing that. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. If you didn't hear that, my mom is pregnant. She's four months pregnant. Uh, she's due what? When? April. 
April 4th. All right. Congratulations. Very excited about that. So you guys uh, pray for the Morkels and uh, be really excited for them. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, ma'am. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. (laughs) Awesome. Anything else? Anyone else have anything, prayer request? Okay, if not, I want to do this uh, with us. Transition a bit into a... uh, a quick time of sharing, and I'm hoping that I'm not going to be the only one doing the sharing. Uh, as many of you know, and hopefully have participated in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, this past week we had our Focus on Missions week. Um, and so uh, what we have asked you guys to do was essentially a couple things. Uh, we've asked you to, as individuals or as families, to engage uh, in different Missional activities, whether that be uh, baking cookies for someone, visiting someone at a hospital, having your neighbor over for dinner, paying for someone's lunch, whatever that might be, uh, doing good work, sharing the gospel through works and deeds and words. Um, and we've asked you guys to engage in those things. Um, I am hoping, I'm hoping that some of you will be so brave as to come and maybe stand where you are, or you can come up and use the mic and just share a little bit about maybe what you did this week, how uh, you impacted other people, maybe how the Lord impacted you. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to give you a moment just to chew on that and to build up your courage, you know, kind of build up that courage. It's not that hard to stand up here in front of the lights um, or right there in your pew. But before I do that, I just want to let you guys know, many of you um, were able to participate in our activities yesterday. Um, on top of the individual challenge, we, uh, as a church, kind of undertook a couple, a couple of different missional activities. Uh, the first thing that we did, how many of you, when you came in, noticed the Christmas presents on that side of the, uh, you know, auditorium? Some of you did. Okay. If you didn't, go check them out. They're right there in that corner where the Christmas tree, I think, normally is. Uh, one of the things that we have done as a church is adopted, uh, in a sense, um, some orphans from Mexico to give them Christmas presents. And so we have asked you, and there is still opportunity for you guys to do this. In fact, I think we still have three orphans that are yet to be adopted. And so if any of you, you know, maybe uh, missed out on that or would like to uh, buy or donate a slightly used toy and wrap it up and bring it up to us, we're going to ship all of those toys, I don't know if you saw, there are quite a few, and I think we still have more on the way. We're going to ship all of those toys to, a, uh, to an orphanage down in Mexico to 28 uh, boys and girls. And so we're really excited about that. Several of you were able to come yesterday and help wrap your presents and get those together. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, really thrilled with the turnout and all the gifts that you guys have done. Um, it's going to be a very Merry Christmas for them. It's going to be awesome. I got an email from the lady, the director there uh, last week, and I told her what we were doing and what we were planning on doing, and she, um, although you can't see someone's tears through an email, uh, she was very touched and very moved that we would do that. And so um, what a blessing you guys have been. Uh, in addition to that, uh, many of you, several of you actually, were at our pizza party last night uh, for the folks down at Parkview. And... Um, we had a great time. I want to thank you guys so much for showing up and for doing that. And uh, we had a good time. We had pizza and drinks and we played Wii and washers and beanbag toss. And 
Uh, we got schooled in Wee Bowling because, you know, most of them are better than us, I think, at Wee Bowling. And uh, I just want to say uh, to you guys as a church that uh, I'm really proud of you guys. I mean, you showed up and you rubbed shoulders and you engaged and you had conversations and you played and uh, just well done. I mean, that's all I can say is well done. Really proud of you guys. Thanks for doing that. And I know that it was a blessing uh, to them, I think. And uh and so we hope to do that again. And so these are the kind of things when we talk about as a church being missional and living missionally, um, these are the kind of things that we're talking about, engaging, building relationships that point people towards Jesus. So now that I've kind of summarized what we've done and given you a good pat on the back, um, it's time to be bold and be courageous. I want to hear some of the things that God did in y'all's life and through you this week. So I'll, I'll start because that's my job, right? I'll start. Um, a couple things for me uh, personally. Uh, last Sunday, there's a there's a there's a couple that we are uh, friends with, good friends with. They have a son who's very close to our age, and uh, we are getting to know them and hopefully engaging uh, them with the gospel. Uh, trying to have spiritual conversations with them, getting to know them and loving them. And we were able to have uh, one of the couples, the wife, over uh, last Sunday night. We were able to have another couple from our church who is, uh, you know, their age and has kids of their age and really connect, I think, that couple to this other couple, uh, if that makes sense. Um, just gospel touches, you know, and uh, that was a really good thing. Um, also, I was able to spend a little bit of time this week with a young man who uh, periodically is kind of engaged in our church and, and ministry, uh, was able to spend some time with him very much out of the blue. He was like, hey, let's go play golf. And I was like, yeah, that's in my job description. So we went and we played golf. And, uh, and uh, it, you know, I was really able to talk with him and, and share my testimony with him and just kind of see where he was spiritually. And, you know, I didn't even seek that out. And it just happened to be that week that God gave me that opportunity. And so um, that's kind of some things that, you know, we did. Okay, now's your, now's your time. Anyone want to share? Anyone want to be bold and step up, say a little bit about their experience? Thank you, Nick. Uh, the mic is right there if you want it. Uh, very front. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Whatever. <laughs> um, one of the, you know, the people that have some 
Thanks, Nick. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Anyone else want to share a little bit? I'm going to grab my coffee. Surely you have some good stories. Okay, thanks. Whoa! Someone's good work for the week is going to be to come uh, give me medical help. Okay.
Wow. <laughs> what? Quite a story. <laughs> so you were a recipient of a, of a good deed this week. Wow. Wow. Okay, anyone want to follow that up? <laughs> Kim, I saw you standing up. So you, you have to now. <laughs> hey, good job. <laughs> Well, well done. Anyone else? Okay, well, I've got one story that I'd like to read. I asked Dennis to share a little bit, and he was a little gun shy. So he typed me up this email, and I'm going to read. Dennis, is that okay? On your behalf. So this is uh, what Dennis shared with us. When I read about the toy collection for the children in the orphanage in Mexico, it spoke to my heart. Christmas, a happy festive time of year, the birth of our Savior, uh, family, friends, and gifts. Here are these children at Christmas with nothing, not even a mom or a dad. I knew that I had to do something to make this Christmas a special one. When I went to work, I asked for samples or items uh, that were being discontinued. Uh, the answer I got was, uh, was to let me see what we have. Uh, the next day, I got the email with the pictures of the children. I forwarded it uh, to myself at work and forwarded it on to the people that I had asked. I was not prepared for the response. One lady wanted to adopt all 28. <laughs> pictures are useful. Uh, the other person I asked, uh, other person asked if I could copy, uh, stop by his office because I knew that he could find something. I got tons of stuff for the children and the people in purchasing had collected some money last year to help people. They gave it to me excuse me, and asked that I buy whatever the children needed. Uh, $371. Uh, I was at a loss of words. So they'll have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, the next day, my wife got back in the truck after work and had a nice zippered uh, package containing dental hygiene products, toothbrush, uh, toothpaste, things like that. I liked it, and I thought about the children, uh, children in Mexico. I called her boss and, and told her the package was really cool and asked if they would like to contribute 28 for the children. If they couldn't contribute, I'd be happy to purchase them. Uh, the next day, we got 31 dental hygiene kits for free, uh, one for each of the children plus three extra. It was a mission that God put on my heart. I never could have imagined the results. Uh, God led, and I followed. Asking you, you shall receive, no kidding. I pray that these children will see the love uh, that our Lord has for them and have a really great Christmas. Thanks, Dennis. Well done. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah.
<laughs> so, Wow. Well done. That's awesome. Okay, before we move on, I'm going to not pass over. Yeah, Ashley, I was hoping you'd talk. Good. Thanks so much, Ashley. Well done. Anyone else? All right. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, I've heard other stories as well, so I know that you know not everyone shared. But, um, I, you know, well done. That's all I can say is well done, church. You guys are doing great. And my hope and prayer is that we don't just make it a one-week event, um, but as we're going to learn in the book of Titus, that we prepare ourselves uh, to be ready for every good work. And so I've asked Jay to come pray, and uh, Jay's going to grab this mic, and he's going to pray for us, and uh, he's going to pray for future mission opportunities and for our service, and uh, and we're going to praise the Lord in song. So, thanks, Jay. Yeah, like Trey said, these are things that don't just have to be done during a focus on missions week. So these, these are things we can do all year long, so keep those things in mind. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for all the stories we've heard today, Lord, of the things that people have done um, to further your word. And Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us these opportunities to to touch hearts. And Lord, I just pray that these things would continue, not that they just happen during a, a special focus week, Lord, but these are things that we need to be doing year round and, and each day. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to, to see these opportunities that are in front of us. I think Nick said a lot of times these things just pass right by us and we don't even see them. Lord, I just really pray that you would help us to be aware of these opportunities and help us to make the best of them. So, Lord, I thank you for the lives that were touched this week um, and just pray that it would continue, Lord. And we'll thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing and uh, we're going to praise the Lord. As the first song we're going to sing, Awesome is the Lord Most High. One of the verses says this, Where you send us, God, we will go. You're the answer that we want the world to know. So very fitting, I think, for for our missions week. So we're going we're gonna to sing. Uh, kids, I think it's kids to church time, and so I think Penny should be waiting for you, so feel free. Adios, head out there and have a good time. And uh, for the rest of you guys who are sticking around with me, turn to the book of Titus. Um, we are going to take a brief um, brief break from our series in the book of Job. And uh, so I almost hate to do it because I have loved Job so much, uh, but we are going to take a, a week and uh, just focus a little bit on Missions, go figure, right? And so we're going to be in the book of Titus. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, the book of Titus is in your New Testament towards, towards the end. If you find yourself looking at, say, First and Second Timothy, Titus is a very short three-chapter book. 
after the Timothys, if you hit Philemon in the book of Hebrews, you have gone too far. Page 2350 in my Bible. Your Bible may not have that many pages. <laughs> but uh, book of Titus is where we're going to be. Uh, hopefully, yeah, there we go. The text will be up on the screen if you happen to have forgotten your Bible today. So, focus on missions 20. 10, I think, was a huge success. Very pleased. Again, just very pleased with how things have gone. Very proud of you guys. And uh, in the past, we have focused on our missionaries and what we do internationally, which is very, very important. Uh, We've always done that, and we'll continue to do that, have a strong international presence through supporting our missionaries. But this year, we wanted to focus on being the missionaries. And so uh, the question, uh, really a couple questions that I would like to address this morning that I think... Paul, who writes in the book of Titus, uh, addresses to us as the church today about missional living. Uh, That's my title if you're taking notes, simply missional living. Uh, We have as one of our values, one of our core values here at Grace, uh, living missionally, missional living. We define it as uh, uh, participating in relationships that point people towards faith in Jesus. And uh, that's broad enough because missional living, as we're going to find out, includes a whole lot of things. But what it must include is intentionality, pointing pointing people in our works, in our words, to the person of Jesus. Um, And so this morning, we will take a look at what missional living is. Is. I want to share a quick story. Um, I uh, read a magazine called Preaching Magazine, and uh, yeah, go figure, right? I subscribe to that, Preaching Magazine, and uh, it, it's, it's good. Preachers like it. It's all full of good stories and helpful articles and things like that. But a recent article out of Preaching Magazine caught my eye, and I think it suits us well, as we are going to begin to talk about missional living. Uh, the story goes like this. There was a young man, a young salesman, new at his trade, um, was out on the road for the first or second time getting some experience under his belt, and he was going to make a sale. And so, long story short, he uh, had a disappointing run. He went to several different uh, businesses trying to sell them his product, and he got the big no on all of them. And so he was heading back to the office, and he was talking to his sales manager, and he was very disappointed, of course, uh, because he didn't make uh, any sales, even though he honestly believed that his product was good and, and, and was valuable. And so he was talking uh, to his manager, and he lamented, saying, I guess it just proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? And the manager replied, I think, with, with great wisdom and winsomeness, Son, take my advice. Your job is to not make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. Your job is to make them thirsty. And as we talk about missional living, if I could sum it up, I would agree with the sales manager's assessment. Our job as believers in Jesus Christ is not to make people drink of the gospel fountain, although we would if we had the power. That's God's role. Our job, with the way we live our life, with the way that we speak the gospel, is to simply make them thirsty. And so we're going to talk about how we do that from the book of Titus. Um, a couple questions. If you're jotting down notes, basically you have two questions and three answers. The first question that Paul addresses is this What is missional living? What is missional living? In other words, what does it look like? What are some activities that constitute missional living? And what we're going to find out from verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3 of the book of Titus is three activities. And so we will discover. Paul will inform us, although I don't think it's exhaustive, three things that Paul considers to be missional activities, missional 
living. Then the second question, which is the second half of our sermon, is this. Why missional living? What is missional living and why? Why do we go on living in this way? In in verses 3 through 8 of Titus chapter 3, Paul is going to answer, I think, the why question. Uh, Really, what he's going to tell us is three motives. Uh, Three motives. What are three underlying motives? Why do we do what it is that we do? And so we have what is missional living, why missional living. Just a bit of heads up as we look at the book of Titus. Um, Titus is a very short book. It's a wonderful book. Uh, in chapter 1, Titus is, uh, is uh, there on the island of Crete, and Paul is writing to him. And Paul in chapter 1 essentially says, this is what church leadership looks like. This is the character of church leadership. This is the quality. This is what they should do. And so he's very specific. And then in chapter 2, he kind of broadens it. And he says, this is what the church as a whole should be doing. This is what young women should look like and act like. This is what young men should do. This is what older women and older men, and he paints this picture of what the church should look like as a response to the gospel. Then as we get into chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at, Paul broadens the circle even bigger, and he says, I've talked about leadership, I've talked about the church, now I'm going to talk about how you are to live in in the world, in the broader wide world of those who are unbelievers. And so this is what Paul addresses in chapter 3. So the first question, digging right in, what does missional living look like? Three activities. If you have your pen, write this down. Number one, missional living, missional living means submitting to authority. Missional living means submitting to authority. And we hear the collective groan of the people Oh, I thought we were talking about living missionally and engaging the culture, and you were telling me authority uh, about authority. Notice where Paul begins. Remind them, so he's telling them things that they know already, things that we know already, I think, as believers. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work. And so we see at the very first half of verse 1, Paul highlights the first activity of missional life, and it's probably unexpected. This is probably, I mean, if I was asking Paul, Paul, what does it look like for me to engage my culture for the gospel? I probably wouldn't anticipate he would say, obey the law. (laughs) That's just not what I would think. But that's exactly what Paul says. He says, if you want to engage the lost world, the first thing you do is notice the verbs, be submissive, be obedient. Uh, The words here, rulers and authorities are general terms that basically talk about any kind of human authority that as we see in Romans 13 is God ordained uh, authority. And so essentially what Paul says is, if you want to live missionally, if you want to be a good evangelist, if you want to impact your culture, the first thing you do as it relates to the authority in your life, not only governmental authorities, but other legitimate authorities, parents, if you're a child, uh, uh, husbands, if you're a wife, employers, if you're an employee, uh, teachers, if you're in school, any legitimate authority, Paul says, be submissive and be obedient. Now I want to I want to tackle this a little bit. Think, think with me through this. Why would Paul begin here? The essence of the gospel is that we are changed uh, by the life and death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we then live our lives in obedience to God, in obedience to Christ, and we as believers want to believe and think and we pursue that we are these things. We are submissive 
to God. We are we try to be obedient to God. And this is what we share. This is what we should be known for. And so what would it look like then to an unbelieving world if we are speaking these things with our lips, that we are submissive and obedient to this authority that is ultimately over us, God, uh, the, the Son, Jesus Christ, and yet they see us cheating on our taxes. We don't submit to governmental authority. We don't obey traffic signals or stop signs. We don't obey, here we go, speed limits. Not suggestions, actually. Speed limits. Amazing. County or village ordinances that are law, but we just simply choose to ignore. If you're a child, what your parents say. If you're a teenager, what your teachers tell you to do. How will that go across if we say, we submit to God, we obey God, we're under that authority? And yet when they see us not under legitimate authority, what kind of a witness is that? I want to share a quick story with you. Um, for some reason, the personal examples this week are negative in the sense that I am a bad example. <laughs> so do as I say, not as I do kind of a thing here. Um, this happened a few years ago. I was doing, I did youth ministry in Dallas and I would drive several days a week to the church. And it was about a 20-minute drive. Long story short, in Texas, uh, we have uh, obviously license plates like you guys have here in, in Illinois. But we also have yearly um, emissions testing that, are, that is standard. And so what we have to do is every year is we have to go get our emissions tested. They do like a check over the car, make sure it's safe for driving, you know, how that goes. And we have to get it done every year. And we have two stickers on our vehicle. And so um, one year... Uh, uh, several years ago, I, it just kind of slipped my mind, you know? Like, I got my tags done, obviously, but I, I failed to get my emissions test done. And so if you're driving, I think there's like a month or two grace period, and then after that, they pretty well ticket you for that. And I kept putting it off, putting it off, thinking, oh, I know I need to do it. I'm just forgetting. I'm too busy. I'm in school, blah, 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 whatever, right? All these excuses. And uh, and I'm playing the odds here. And so one day, I'm driving. It's I don't know, five or six o'clock, I'm driving to youth group to go lead my youth ministry. I am a pastor at this church. And wouldn't you know, uh, a, a cop passes me this way, he notices the numbers are not right, right? You know the end of the story. I, I, he's like, have you noticed that your emissions is nine months late? <laughs> and I said, yes, well, I'm just going to wait till next year. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wanted to, but... At that point, I might as well, you know. Uh, he's like, yeah, I, I'm going to ticket you. He's, and he said, where are you going? And at that point, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to church. And he kind of gave me the look like, yeah, you know. Uh, and I said, no, I, I'm a youth pastor, and I, I have a youth group to go lead. And, <laughs> and you could just see it on his face, you know. You see it on his face. I'm like, Yeah. I disobeyed the law, and I'm going to lead the students. You know what I mean? That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So he says, missional living, number one, means submitting to authority. So how do you do that? You doing okay on that? I hope so. Number two, missional living means doing good to others. Uh, number two, missional living means that we do good to others. Now, this is essentially uh, the thrust of what we did this week. Is it not that we intended as believers in Christ to do good? Notice what Paul says, the last part of verse one. Submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. And then he says to be ready. 
to be ready for every good work. This is very much like Nick shared. It's the idea, essentially, that when an opportunity comes our way to do good to someone, especially someone who is an unbeliever, that we have it on our radar, so to speak, that we take that opportunity. It's a readiness. It's a preparedness for engaging in helping and meeting needs as they come up. So essentially that means that we as a church, if we are doing this, if we are ready, prepared for every good work, whether we're uh, driving down the road or we're at school or we're at our uh, place of work or whatever, that as, that as we go along, we kind of have our radars up and that we see, we have eyes to see, when opportunity comes our way, we take that opportunity. Um, so we should have a positive impact on our community. That's what this means. We should be engaged in every good work. And so I want to ask a question. And don't say it out loud, unless it's a good answer. No, don't say it out loud. Uh, but this is a really legitimate question. One way to ask it is this. If Grace Bible Church ceased to exist, if we shut down doors uh, today, and I went away and everyone else went away, would anybody outside the church notice? And would anyone outside the church even care? That's the question that we must ask when we think about being prepared to do good works. Would anybody notice? Would anybody really care? And if the answer to that question is no, then we are not being ready as a church for every good work. And, and, and as I think about this, it's, it's about being ready. You know, It's about being prepared. Um, why, do, why are we not? I began to think about this. Why are we not ready for every good work? It's easy for us to read that and say, okay, yeah, I'll be ready, I'll be prepared. But so oftentimes we're not. I mean, I speak for myself here. Um, are we not so preoccupied as we go throughout our days and our schedules and our lives and the busyness of what we do? Are we not so preoccupied with what's on our agendas? I mean, are we not so preoccupied with what we have to do that day and what our uh, schedule dictates and what our needs for the day are? I mean, to some degree that's natural, but I think we are so, um, you know, self-centered in the sense that we, we're too busy. We will not break our schedule to do those kind of things. Um, once again, negative example on me. I actually do these things okay, really. I just, you know, negative, negative examples. Here we go. Uh, as you know, a couple weeks ago, I was in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, at a pastor's conference. Even worse, a pastor's conference. You know, and so I'm going, and it's probably, I don't know, 8, 8 o'clock. And uh, the conference started at 8.30 on Saturday, so there was a caribou coffee. Anyone ever been to caribou coffee before? It's awesome. I've never even heard of it. It was awesome. I got like a dessert coffee with Snickers and cream. It was wonderful. This is going to make this illustration even worse. So, so, so I, I get my $4 cup of coffee that's like sugar high. And I waited in line for 30 minutes. So I'm kind of pressing in time. I want to make the conference. It's like five minutes till. And it's a five-minute walk. And I'm walking. And as I'm walking in downtown Minneapolis, I notice kind of to the left of my eye that there was a guy. And uh, I quickly realized that he was most likely homeless because he was rummaging through the trash. And I looked at him, and I was like, what's he doing? And then, I, okay, he's, he's, he's hungry, you know, or looking for something. He's rummaging through the trash. And in that moment, I, you know, am I prepared for every good work, you know? Um, and, and much like if you've ever had this kind of scenario, not just with a homeless person, just in general, um, the, the list goes through my mind. Well, I've got three minutes to get to the conference, and I re- really want to hear John Piper speak. 
Okay, that's valuable. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what should I do? I, he's hungry. Okay, but the line was so long, it would take me 30 minutes to go through this line and get him food. Well, I can't do that. Well, maybe I'll give him some money. I've got some cash. Well, no, because he might go buy whatever. You know, and, and I go through this in my mind in a matter of 15 seconds. And by the time I look up again, he's gone. You know, he's moved on. And I'm like, darn it, let's go hear John Piper. You know, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I missed it. You know, I wasn't ready for every good deed in that moment. Are you ready for every good deed? Thirdly, missional living not only means uh, submitting to authority, doing good, it means treating unbelievers with respect. That's kind of how I summarize verse 2. Treating unbelievers with respect. Notice, uh, read with me what he says in verse 2. I'm summarizing here. He says, To speak evil of no one, uh, to avoid quarreling, And then positively, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy or all consideration, your your Bible might say, towards all people. All people. And so essentially what Paul says is we need to treat unbelievers with respect. He gives us two things to avoid and two things to adopt. First of all, two things to avoid. He says, speak evil of no one. That basically means don't gossip about them. Don't slander them. When they're gone, don't speak poorly about them to your friends. Very simple. Especially unbelievers. Especially if we do this to unbelievers. We speak evil against them. We talk about them behind their back. He says, don't do that. That's not helpful for your witness. Secondly, avoid quarreling. This word essentially means don't be a, an agitator. Don't be one who always initiates confrontation. And it's not necessarily like fistfights, you know? I hope I don't ever see any of you in a fistfight down in the park, you know what I mean? But this is what the, this verb is more of a verbal, you know, you may not give someone a right hook, but you might give them a right hook verbally, you know what I mean, if they're unbelievers. And, and Paul essentially says if, if you as a believer are known as the one to begin controversy, to stir up trouble, that's not good for your witness. So avoid those things. And then positively, he simply says, uh, be gentle, which is the idea of uh, power under control. It's not passive. It's not being walked on. It's you have self-control as you deal with unbelievers. He says, uh, and show perfect courtesy, which basically means you consider their rights, what they would like, what they would prefer. Simply put, um, we treat them with respect. That's what we do. We treat them with respect. Um, One commentator puts it this way, in summary. People who are ever fighting are wretched citizens and neighbors. People who are willing to yield in gentleness are admirable, especially when they follow the gentle spirit of Jesus. And so uh, that's what Paul says missional living looks like. Submission to authority. It means that we are ready for every good deed. It means that we treat our uh, neighbors and coworkers and people that we know who are not Christians with respect. That's what Paul says. Okay, so that's the, that's the what. So I want to talk now in verses 3 through 8 with the time that we have remaining about the why. I mean, this is what missional living looks like, but why do we do this? And this is really has been on my heart. Why missional living? Um, here's a question for you, and I want you to ponder it just for a moment. Uh, what we did this past week are all good deeds, as Paul just said in, in verse 1. Uh, they're good deeds. We did good things. We helped people. We're helping people. We're giving people benefit. Um, what is the difference? What is the difference between us as a church doing those good deeds and say, like Salvation Army, or you know, say any other um, 
organization like Goodwill, you know, any other organization. I mean, if you think about it, in this world, there are a lot of organizations that do good, right? Right? I mean, you can think of a ton. They do good things, wonderful things. They provide clean water. They help refugees. I mean, a ton of just good and wonderful and great things. So what? Are we just one of those organizations? I mean... What's the difference? Well, I think the difference is motivation. And this is what Paul is going to talk about in 3 through 8. And so if you're writing notes, jot down these three motivations. Motivation number one is our past condition. The first motivation that Paul hits on is how we used to live, our past condition as an unbeliever. Let's read this together in verse 3. Notice the connection. Four. When you see a four, you ask, what's it's there for? And, And what he's doing is he's connecting Live this way, and here's why. For we ourselves, notice he's talking about every believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, for we ourselves were once, past tense, who we used to be, were once, and then he goes through a litany of descriptions that, generally speaking, describe people apart from faith in Jesus. Foolish, we didn't understand. Disobedient, we didn't obey God. Led astray, we were deceived. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. We're hedonists. We live for our pleasure. We live for what we want and what we like and what makes us happy. Passing our days in malice and envy. Uh, We're jealous of people. We can't stand it when other people get good and we don't. We speak evil against them. Malice. Hated by others. As a result, other people hate us. And hating one another. And we hate other people too. And so Paul essentially says, this is our first motivation. Remember Remember, Christian, who you used to be. That's what Paul says. Remember that you were once like them. Remember how it was when you were like them. And so the question that I want to ask you is, do you remember what your life was like, what your heart was like, what your motives and your thoughts and your motivations were like before you placed your faith in Jesus? I mean, can you remember that? I can remember that. Some people don't. Some people, like my wife, uh, has, they have been believers and they, she placed her faith in Jesus, I think, when she was five. So she doesn't really remember having a heinous, horrible, you know, four-year-old delinquency past, you know? Um, at least I don't think. I can't even find out. But, uh, you know, but some of us, if we came to faith later in life, um, like I did, I was 15, and uh, I remember that these things were true. I was all of these things. Uh, I was these things. And so Paul says, remember that. Remember how you were enslaved. Remember that you, <laughs> you sought meaning and purpose and satisfaction at the deepest level. And you tried all sorts of things. Dating, food, sex, alcohol, academic success, physical uh, uh, job success, athletic success, whatever it may be. You were looking and you kept and you'd get it, and it wouldn't do it, and so you needed more and more and more and more. I remember that. You remember that? Paul says, remember who, they, who you used to be, because that's who they are. Remember that and be desperate for them. And so what was your life like before you met Jesus? That's how your neighbor who is lost is like. That's who your friend who doesn't have faith in Jesus, that's what they're like. They need the gospel. So our first motive is our past condition. Our second motive in verses 4 through 7 is our present condition. 
our present condition. That is, who we are through Jesus Christ. Who has God made us to be when we trusted in the gospel? How has he changed us? Paul says, because God has changed us through the gospel, we need to engage in missions. Uh, let's read verses 4 through 7 together. This is theologically rich. I mean, I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to summarize this. But essentially what Paul says is, the gospel. This is the gospel. This is what changes us. Verse 4. But... When the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, that is, when Jesus Christ appeared to the earth, he was God's demonstration of love and mercy. Verse 5, he saved us. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he delivered us from our sins, from our sinful pleasures and passions, and from our heart's wickedness. He delivers us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So we didn't deserve it. Uh, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, continue on, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, being declared right before God by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we have hope now. Okay, there's a ton there, right? Two points that I want us to see. First of all, we are changed by the gospel of grace. If you're taking notes, write that down. We are changed by the gospel of grace. Paul says that the motive that should be that which bursts out of us to do good works, to obey the law, to respect unbelievers, is grace. That is the internal thing that we are changed by. Notice verse 5, if we can flip back to verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so what he's saying is that religion doesn't change us. Doing a bunch of religious activities, the Lord's Supper and communion and baptism and being here on Sunday mornings, religious activities do not change us or save us. Secondly, moralism, doing good, being better than that person, uh, being better than this person. I'm good enough. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most. Moralism does not change us. That is not the gospel. Get this. It's grace. It's, it's a radical, free, life-changing, abundant Grace, God giving to us that which we do not deserve. Forgiveness, changed hearts, relationship with him for free. It's just for free. I mean, they say nothing in life is for free. The gospel is for free, <laughs> okay? And it changes us when we receive all of these spiritual blessings and a transformed life simply because we take it. We just receive it like a Christmas gift. You don't pay for it. You just take it and you Use it and you enjoy it. That's the gospel of grace. And so Paul says the gospel of grace liberates us. We receive that which is free. We don't earn good works. And so we receive that which is free, so therefore we give to others that which is free. An oil change, a changed tire, a free babysitting. We give away our lives by doing good works because we have been given grace. Does that make sense? I want to show a quick commercial. Most of you have probably seen it. It's one of my favorite commercials. It's uh, it's Liberty Insurance, I believe. It's a wonderful commercial about getting grace and then passing grace on. And this is what Paul talks about as our motive for missional living. So let's show that if we can. Isn't it a wonderful concept? I mean, I love that commercial. People see and experience grace and they give it out. 
And that's what Paul says. This is our present condition. We're changed by grace. Secondly, we're changed into new people by the gospel. He says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Um, Technical terms, but essentially what Paul is talking about, he imagines our being saved as a washing, as a cleansing away of our dirt and our sin and our selfishness and everything that is wrong about us. It's a washing, and he says we are regenerated, which literally means like a new genesis. We are born again. We are made new. It's t- it talks about a, a life anew, a recreation, being changed. We are new people. That's essentially what Paul says. And so he says we experience radical grace and we give it out and we're, we're new people on the inside. We have changed desires. We have changed thoughts. We have changed motives. We have changed lives. And that is how the gospel changes us. And so I want to ask you this question as we're about to wrap up. Have you experienced this kind of grace? Because we talk about that being the motive for us to be ready for good works. But if you've not experienced that kind of free grace, then you are earning your way to God. Have you ever experienced grace? The one way that you can know is, is how you answer this question. Um, if and when, and you will, one day stand before a holy God. And if he were to ask you this question, I don't know if he will, but let's just say he was, is, um, why should you be with me? I mean, heaven or hell, why? Why should I let you in? How would you answer that question? Because I assure you, in one way, shape, or form, you will. How you answer that question, I think, determines whether you've experienced this kind of radical grace in your life. Because if, in, if you say in your mind's eye, God, I will stand before you and be accepted by you because, any of the following, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than most. I've tried to have a good life. I, at least I'm not a rapist. I'm not a, a murderer. I, 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 I. And you see where I'm going with that? If that is the way you answer that question, then the way that you relate to God is not by grace, but it's by works. And you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you have not received grace, you are earning God's salvation. But if in that moment you say, and it, not just because you know it's the magic word, you know, but in your heart of hearts, you answer that by saying, I trust in Jesus. Jesus is perfect. I am not perfect. I believed in him. He has made me clean. I have received the gift. That's why I'm going to be in your presence, God. Not because I deserve it, not because I'm good enough, not because of anything I can do other than faith in Jesus. If you say that, if that is your answer in that moment, then you know that you have experienced this present condition of grace. And so I want to ask you if you have done that before. Third, we've seen two motives. Our past condition, our present condition. Thirdly, missional living is necessary and good because, thirdly, it benefits the lost. It benefits the lost. Verse 8, the saying is, this saying, the saying is trustworthy, what he just said about the gospel. And I want you to insist on these things so that, and here's the point, so that those who have believed in God, been born again, like we're talking about, experienced grace, those who have believed in God may be careful, notice that word, to devote themselves to good works. And so we're back to missional living, to a life of good works. And then notice what he says. These things, that is, good works, to people, these things are excellent and profitable for people. And so the question is, why does living missionally, doing good deeds, sharing the gospel both with our words and our life, why is that profitable? How is that beneficial 
to your neighbor or your coworker or a student or your mom or your dad? Why, how is that beneficial? Really simply. Well, there's obviously the uh, kind of the initial benefit. If you help someone carry their groceries back, grocery bags or you give them money for rent, obviously it's profitable to them because they don't have to carry their groceries and they don't have to pay rent, right? I mean, that's, that makes sense. It's beneficial when you do good things to others because you're doing good things to others. But I think Paul means something broader here. Yes, it's beneficial in that way. But I think Paul has a spiritual meaning here. I think he means it's profitable and it's beneficial to the lost because it points them to the gospel. Because it shows them grace. We've experienced grace. We show grace. And they say, you would do that for me? For free? You would give of your time? You would give of your money? For free? Grace. And it shows them grace. Warren Wiersbe, I think, summarizes Paul's point very well. The best way a local church has to witness to the lost is through the sacrificial service of its members. So how are we doing with that? Sacrificial service of its members. If Wearsby is right and if Paul is right and if living a life of good works, engaging our community is beneficial physically and spiritually and that's the best way we can do it. How are we doing? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn the lesson from the salesman. Father, we so desperately desire to lead Um, horses to the water and make them drink. Uh, Because we want people to experience what we have. We want them to place their faith in Jesus. We want them to be saved and to be delivered and to know joy and satisfaction and purpose and freedom in relationship with you. We so desperately want that. And Father, there are, forgive the image, a lot of horses in our life and in our community. People who aren't drinking of the, the spiritual water of life the flowing fountain of spiritual life that is in your son. There are many people uh, who don't have that. And we desire that they would come to the living water, to the horse trough, if you will, and come and drink and delight in you and be changed by the gospel. But Father, we can't force their heads in. But, as the salesman said, we can, we can make them thirsty. And so, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here that we would live lives that would make people spiritually thirsty, that they would desire this grace that we've experienced, that they would see such a change in us, that they would ask questions, that they would see that what they have is mere religion or morality or whatever it may be. It's not, it's not working. And I pray then that you would help us to be ready, to be prepared for every good work both in the tangible sense and also sharing the truths of the gospel of your death and burial and resurrection, dying on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you so much for a wonderful week. Thank you for all the good that we've done. Pray that it would be to your glory and honor and for our joy and satisfaction. And I pray that our community, even through this week, would take heed and that they would become thirsty. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.